Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by John Crumpton. For more podcasts, news and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. So good. Well, uh, Daryl's having a well-earned break at the moment. Daryl on full on leave. So that's so good. And uh, we're just loving what God is doing in this season. You can, f- you can feel, you can sense that there is an emerging. It's not just because you're going into the third quarter. But there is something in the, in the spiritual timetable where the Lord is actually cracking things open. You, you can feel like there's this, this tangible reawakening. Yeah? And so what I want us to do is to be aware and alert of what the Spirit's doing so that we partner with what Holy Spirit's doing in that season. See, otherwise things can move along and you stay in your cave and they pass you by. You've actually got to come out of the cave and engage with what God's doing. Hmm? Always this invitation. He doesn't force you into it. He invites you into it. But we need to respond to the invitation. Yeah? I, uh, we were talking with the, the apostolic team earlier this week about one or two things. And, and I was just so struck the, the, the parable that Jesus, he told his followers about the banquet that had been prepared. And the invites went out and people didn't respond. All of a sudden, my heart. Because you know when you do something, you prepare and then people don't pitch. I remember you made in his image. I understand the sin, you know, the fall and all the rest of it, so we're not perfect. But, but there's aspects that we get to walk in that in a minor, small, minute way reflect something of his heart. And so we kind of, like, wow, his heart, he prepared this banquet and he gave out the invitation. People said, ah, too busy, eh? Too busy. Just got a new business. Just got a new vehicle, some oxen. <laughs> you know, just, just uh, too busy about these other peripheral things. And they missed the invitation to the feast of all feasts. And what the, wow. Yeah. Point being, there are multiple invitations along the way that the Lord extends to us. Let's not miss our day of visitation. Here endeth the first lesson. All right. What I wanted to talk to you about today comes from when we were together around about the time of the ascension. Not the original one 2,000 years ago. Like this year, we were talking about the ascension. Do you remember that? Okay. And, you know, so in, in, in some of my, my thinking, I can see that there's a progression in terms of what the Spirit is saying to us. And the threads, hopefully, I can, can get to, to a particular place this morning. But I, I see some of the threads. I pull it all the way back to what the, what the Lord was drawing to our attention when we recognized we celebrated ascension. And the whole thing about ascension, you'll remember because you were here, was that this spiritual truth 
wasn't just about something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's meant to be alive, living, and speaking to us today. Because he ascended, and we're seated where? With him. Where is he? In heavenly places. There's a spiritual truth and a reality that applies to our lives now today based on what Jesus did for us. What he accomplished. And through that ascension, we now, because the veil has been torn, there's a new and a living way. Oh my goodness. So we go back and we we see as we dig into the scriptures some of these truths that have application to our lives here and now. It's not, oh, that was a great history lesson. Never. We never approach the scriptures for history. No, 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 no. He is the living word, the eternal word. He's alive and he's at work in our hearts and our lives. So when we come to the scriptures, we come to be changed and transformed. Not to be entertained. Yeah. Listen, if you want to be entertained, you'd probably be sitting in a different church. Because I'm not such a good entertainer. It can't be about entertainment. It's got to be about transformation. Like, Holy Spirit, what are you saying in and through this revelation today? Like, what am I supposed to do? I'm surely supposed to live differently because I've heard something. I mean, we're going to have to give an account for every word, everything we've received. Yeah, it's a massive responsibility, great privilege, but with privilege comes responsibility. So we're going to just sit here like, if I don't come, John's going to say, where were you? Which I might. But that's not the real reason you're here. Right? The reason we're here is we're coming to encounter the living word. I mean, remember the scribes and the Pharisees. Jesus said to them, listen, you search the scriptures to find me. I'm standing right in front of you. You've missed the boat. So you're like, hey, let's not miss our day of visitation, encounter, and transformation. Something's got to shift and change in the way we live because we've had an encounter with the living God. That's what we're on about. Okay. That's full disclosure. Now you know why we're here. Okay. So, ascension. It's kind of like, wow, it's amazing what Jesus accomplished, but it's amazing how I live now because of what he did back then. It's not just a then, it's a then and now, and then into the future. Okay? And then because he sat down at the right hand of the Father, he received the promise of the Father, the, the, the Spirit that he was then able to pour out. So then we have the day of Pentecost. And we have the most extraordinary time remembering what Pentecost is all about. And, and I, I made this statement which I tried to provoke you. I seldom do that. I pulled a pin and I threw a hand grenade and I said, Pentecost is not just about shikarabasokoroboko. 
In other words, speaking in tongues. That the giving of the Spirit, the outpouring of Holy Spirit, Pentecost, and as charismatic believers, meaning from the Greek charisma, the gifts, the gift of the Holy Spirit, charismatic, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is alive and busy in the world today, and that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is welcome in His church. And when God the Holy Spirit shows up, He does the same thing that God the Son does, who's doing the same thing as God the Father does, and the Spirit is going to build up the saints and build up the church. So the Holy Spirit is not dangerous. In fact, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live the life that Jesus called us to live. So the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is much more than just goosebumps falling to the ground, speaking in tongues. Now, just to clarify, it is absolutely monumental that we do receive the gift of the Spirit. And it's absolutely beyond earthly power that we get plugged into the power of the Spirit and we pray in the language of the Spirit. And we prophesy and all of these great things. Absolutely. But my point in throwing the hand grenade was that we didn't just minimize it to just goosebumps and speaking in tongues. That the Holy Spirit came for so much more. And today, I'm drawing all the way back to Ascension Day to say what I really wanted to say back then. All of these weeks is getting us to be able to say what we want to say today and say next time. Because there'll be more hand grenades just around the corner. Has to be. This gospel is explosive. It's not John's trying to be explosive. The gospel is explosive. Boom! Oh my goodness, I never saw that before. It totally revolutionizes our life and our way of thinking and our way of living in the power of the Spirit. It can't be boring. It has to be life transforming. Oh my goodness, did you see that? Grab somebody. Are you awake? Are you alive? This is awesome. Am I the only one? Come on, guys. This is huge. This is huge. Huge, 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 huge. So, the first Pentecost. Massive encounter with God revealing how people should live in a way that would please Him. Because why? Paradise was lost. Eden was trashed. Yeah, a snake and an apple, an Adam and an Eve, an angel and a couple of trees. You know the story. Okay. But the intention was, hey guys, live in relationship with God. They had this amazing thing. They would knock off at the end of work and they would have happy hour with God. Meet with God in the cool of the day. After working 
attending, representing as his agents, representing him here on earth. And the idea was to do so well that it would be fruitful, multiply, expand, have so many kids and the kids carrying on the family business that eventually the borders of Eden expand, enlarge, and we cover the whole globe and we make the world look like Eden. Paradise. It's a forerunner of heaven on earth. Ka-ching! Oh my goodness. It's meant to look like heaven on earth. Paradise was lost. They lost the ability to have happy hour with God. Drinks after work, whatever they did, I don't know. He not only was going to try and restore that, because that was the whole thing of, hey guys, you, I will set you free. You will come and you will worship me on this mountain. You will encounter me like they encountered God in the cool of the evening. Eden was a bit like a sanctuary kind of a worship experience, meeting, communing with God. God says, listen, there's going to be a little bit of a reset here are some ways in which we can be in unity and harmony. And he gave them ten words. We call them ten commandments. Yeah? And if you do these things, then happy hour. It was his intention. We know that the law, the first Pentecost, they weren't able to do. So we get the second Pentecost... Where God comes to fulfill his intention. It was always his intention. In the first Pentecost, they get given the rules of God. But the second Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit, the rule, the government of God. So he prophesies, because we know that this is his intention. This is not a mistake. This is not plan B, C, D, or whatever it is. Right from the start, I mean, he tells them, listen, the snake is still there. And he says, listen, born of the seed of a woman, there's one coming. He's going to crush your skull. He's already prophesying the Messiah. And we know that the lamb was slain before the creation, the foundation of the world. Always plan A. It was never plan B. Yeah? But he, he gives us breadcrumbs. <laughs> he says to a guy called Ezekiel. Imagine getting a name Ezekiel. Eh? That's a bit weird, eh? Anyway. Sorry if there are any Ezekiels here. God bless you. <laughs> but he says to Ezekiel. He says, Ezekiel. There were stone tablets, the law. But that's external, trying to govern your behavior. He says, I tell you what, a day will come. I will take out your heart of stone. And I will put inside of you a heart of, I will put my, my spirit within you. He says to this guy, Ezekiel, but what he's going to do... On Pentecost, 
I will put my spirit within you. I will move you, cause you to please me, to walk in my ways. This is awesome. So we move from the first Pentecost rules, laws, external behavior to internal governing rule by the spirit. We get this upgrade. Come on, think about it. Eden, happy hour, end of the day. Serious upgrade. Hebrews says this is a superior covenant. I'm with you always. Not just five o'clock in the afternoon. Or whenever the sun goes down. This is awesome. This was his intention, to be with us. And it's not just like there's this external temple. He says, you are the temple. I'm coming to live inside of you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now, as we want to live a life that pleases him, we want to know what it is to live in and by the Spirit. Nee. That's why you came. Just telling you why you came this morning. So, turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 8. Romans 8. And uh, we're going to take a, uh, a run from where we were last week and uh, see if we can get to what I'm hoping is going to help you enormously with your walk with the Spirit. Romans 8 verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Oh, so we want to be governed by the Spirit because we want life and peace. Ne? I mean, this makes sense. Yeah, the thief comes to steal, kill, destroy, but I have come that you might have life, life more abundantly. Are you seeing that? All right, and Jesus is the prince of? Okay, so we're seeing how these things fit together. If we're in the spirit, there's life and? God's a genius. Okay, verse nine. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you are in the realm of the spirit. Hello. You are in the realm of the spirit. What is that? Oh, that's right. Ascension. You're seated with Christ where? You're in the realm of the Spirit, the heavenly realms. We are people of the Spirit, having an earthly experience. Mm -hmm. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and He does, yay! If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, he is, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. What's going on here? The righteousness that comes to you is the righteousness that comes from Christ. He was the righteous one. All right? The law, the first Pentecost, giving of the law. Do these things, it will go well with you. We couldn't do it. Then Jesus comes, he fulfills 
all of these requirements of the law and then he gives it to us as a free gift. He says, yeah, guys, as though you had done it, I've done it on your behalf. You just need to receive this. You get the righteousness of Christ as a free gift. How do you get it? Just by believing that he is the son of God and he did it for you. And then it's yours. I mean, that's pretty easy. Yeah? So we're in the righteousness of Christ because of what he did to fulfill the requirements of the law so that we could be in right standing and relationship with God just like it was in the Garden of Eden as though the fall hadn't happened. Awesome, right? Okay. What only does this immediately transform our spiritual position, it begins to have an impact on our physical bodies. So we begin, we have an unfair advantage. That's what I just say. It's unfair. He said, you'll be the head, not the tail. This is not fair. Exactly. We're his favorites. We're the apple of his eye. Yeah. And so he causes his goodness and his favor and his mercy and his kindness to be on us. And it actually touches and impacts our physical body. Okay. Now, because physically we're born of the seed of Adam, there is the effects of sin in the fallen world. And we get all these diseases that are going around the planet. I'm being extremely restrained right now. But we put our hope and our trust in the Lord. And what happens is that we step into something of recognizing that the supernatural impacts the natural we get this transfer of life from the one realm to the other realm, we get a little bit of heaven on earth, we call it healing. Our physical bodies come into alignment with heaven's reality. That's amazing. Like, boom, all of a sudden, talk about a reset. That's amazing. Yeah? Okay. Okay. That's not the main point. Let's come back here quickly. Therefore, brothers and sisters, verse 12, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Okay, five sermons just in that one sentence. Oh, Jesus, help me now. Okay. He's saying a couple of things here. Many things, actually. Okay. You have an obligation. Pause. In this book of of Romans, Paul, he's contrasting those who are under the law, the old covenant, and they were slaves. He's putting layer upon layer. Remember the old days we used to have a thing called overhead projectors with transparencies. The younger generation have got no clue what we're talking about. Okay? It was just, just after ox wagons and paraffin lamps. And, okay. So 
There's so many layers here. There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a bondage, there's a slavery, if you like, to the law. There was also the slavery in terms of Egypt and in being in bondage to the sin nature. So he's got a couple of these transparencies stacked. And then he's contrasting with this, this other side here, which is freedom. So we're in Christ, we're in the spirit. We're not under the law the spirit of the law, now we're under the spirit of life, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God. So he's doing this contrast. And then he's saying, listen, dudes, one of the transparencies, he says, you guys, you were owned like sin owned you. Gotcha. You were owned. And you had to be set free. You had to be rescued. You had to be redeemed. So Jesus paid the price so that you could be set free. Because you were a slave. And as a slave, you were obliged to sin. Whether you wanted to or not, you just sinned. Yeah, that's a whole very difficult passage in Romans that a lot of people get back to front. Another day. So that you... Don't be a slave to sin. Don't oblige that. You have an obligation, but now the thing is, Jesus bought you with the precious blood of the Lamb. All right, He paid the price. He freed you. He redeemed you. Paid the redemption, if you like, to the Father, not to the enemy. Massive theological implications if you get that one wrong. Okay. Boom. Another grenade for another day. We are bought. You are no longer your own. You belong to him. Therefore, live a life that pleases him. Our obligation is to please him. Massive implications. Why? Because some believers got the thing wrong. They go, well, you know what? Hey, I'm free. So whatever I do, I'll be forgiven. So, you know what? I'm under grace. It's okay. The more I sin, the more grace will abound. Hey, let me help Jesus by sinning more. <laughs> Completely back to front logic. Yeah? And so he said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Your obligation is not to live according to the sin nature. Your obligation is to live a life that pleases him. So we have this obligation. Yeah? Now, how do we do this? How do we do this life that pleases him? I'm so glad you asked because that was the whole point. Okay, great. Turn with me further along in Romans, Romans chapter 12. Here is a passage you will know, I mean, so, so well, right? Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your body as a living sacrifice. You constantly are living in the obligation of pleasing him. You see the connection? Okay, three of you. That's great. Then he goes on verse 2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. All right. What I hope to do is try and unpack this a little bit that will help you to see how we are to live in the spirit and to live a life that pleases him. Because we hear this wonderful charismatic terminology like keep in step with the spirit, live by the spirit. But my experience anyway, few people actually say this, then this, then that, then that. Oh, thank you. Now I know how to do it. Because you've got this great, you know, hashtag do this. How? No one says how. And it's just like, oh no, we've got to do better than that. Okay, so I'm hoping to break up the breadcrumbs so that we can actually follow the trail. That's my, that's my hope. Okay. And I've been trying to get there since ascension. Okay. If you get this thing, it'll absolutely change and revolutionize your life as it did mine. This is 20 years in the making, people. Yeah. Do not conform. Is that a suggestion? It's like, yay, just my opinion. You might want to try this. This is Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do not. Goodness gracious me, but that comes with strength. Do not conform. In other words, it's possible as a believer to still conform. Pull the pin, throw another one. Whose narrative will you believe? Not just whose report will you believe, but whose narrative will you believe? Let that explode quietly over there. Do not conform. In other words, the conforming, it's like, you know when you're baking um, a dessert or a cake or whatever it is, and there is this mold, and you pour the batter into the mold, and it shapes the way the cake is going to come out. That is the, the, the connotation in the original language that the, the world could be probably better translated this age. So the systems of this age, the, the philosophies of this world, the prevailing way of doing things that is non-godly. So we're contrasting you not have an obligation to the world. You have an obligation to the spirit. We're contrasting trying to do it in your own strength to doing it in the spirit. All these contrasts are happening at the same time. Okay? So the spirit of this age, the enemy, the thief, the snake, whirrings, Lucifer. Okay? He is impacting and influencing fallen humanity. Sometimes your neighbor, without realizing it, if they're not a believer, they're partnering with the enemy. They don't even know that they're against you. They just are because it's their nature. I mean, Jesus went so far to say to the Pharisees, listen, your father is the devil. Because you speak lies and he's the father of lies. 
Oh my goodness. It's hectic stuff. Recognize that there is a spirit of this age. There is a way of doing things and seeing things that seems good and wise, but is not God. And this way of thinking and approaching life wants to shape you. A bit like clay. You take clay as a raw material and you soften it up, whatever, and then you squeeze it into a mold that you can create some kind of an image. Now we're supposed to be made in the image of and be transformed more and more into his. Guess who's also trying to shape us? And so Paul has got a right to believers. He writes to them and he says, do not be because it is possible to be. So we've got to think through some things because this mold is trying to shape us after its image. And they get upset when we don't follow. It's like, how dare you? You bigot, you, you arrogant, you prideful. They want to shape us and mold us according to their reality and their truth. And they don't like it when you don't conform. Which means we have to be intentional as Christians. We actually have to think about what we think. Yeah. He's given us a brain on purpose. So we can use it. So don't be shaped by this world's way of doing things. Be shaped by the revelation of God. God's way of doing things. Alright? So this is part of the connotation, yeah? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. This word transformed, the Greek word, is metamorphu. Two things, meta, meaning to change, to change after being with. Oh, wow. To change after being with. And then morphu, it's changing form in keeping with inner reality. Changing form in keeping with inner reality. Guys, you can go and do an internet search. Just search the Greek meaning, Strong's, whatever. You can be as clever as me. Okay. And, okay. So, meta and morphu. We get the, the, the word, you'll remember from biology, if they still do this in school, I don't know what they do these days, but metamorphosis. Caterpillar into a cocoon comes out a butterfly. And that process, they say, is metamorphosis. All right? That is a transforming. Hmm? There's a change in form and shape and being. There's a, the, the interesting thing, this, this root word is used four times. One of the other places it's used is the Mount of Transfiguration. It's kind of like, 
wow, that's amazing. Okay, but it's also used in 2 Corinthians 3. Make some notes. 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, we are being transformed into his image. Oh my goodness, we get that image thing again. We're transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is amazing. I mean, you'd think somebody wrote this with intention. Yeah, 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 it's Holy Spirit. It's amazing. And so he's putting, he's weaving these things in here that we can actually see. Oh, goodness. We are to be transformed, undergo this metamorphosis. The root word actually for this change thing, metamorphosis, is in, in, in also it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we see these things coming together. We used to think according to carnal way of thinking, fallen man. But now we no longer do, we think according to the spirit. Scripture goes so far as to say we have the mind of Christ. Oh my goodness, this is, this is big stuff. Big shift and change. Okay? The world's way of thinking, the way it says this is good, this is bad, and then you got God's way. And the whole thing with the word repentance to change, the metanoia thing, is the world says this, okay? Whoa, what does God say? I turn away from what the world says. And I embrace what God says. That's what repentance is. Repentance is not snot and trana at the altar. That's just remorse. Repentance is change the way you think. I used to think, hey, if I did a couple of good deeds, helped a couple of old people across the road, I was going to go to heaven. It was in the days when we used to have Boy Scouts. I used to do that sort of thing. Okay? And people based on their good works would get into heaven. That's what the world says. How you get into heaven? Peter's going to ask you, tell me all the good things you did. Okay, you can get in. That's what the world says. Listen, you go to a pub. Oh, you don't have pubs any day. You go to a bride. You go somewhere. You talk to people. You go to a funeral. Everybody's going to heaven. It's amazing. The oak was an absolute scoundrel. But he's going to heaven. Why? Because, ah, oh, he was a good person. Says who? Says the world. Says the world. And God says, actually, there's only one way to the Father. It's not based on your good works. It's based on good belief. So you actually go like, oh, I used to think that it was good works that got me into heaven. Now I change my way of thinking. Repentance. And I forsake that previous way of thinking and I embrace what God says. I used to think it was okay to diddle the tax man because there's so much corruption in the land so it didn't really matter. But now I realize God says sin is sin. So I change the way I live because I change the way I think, because I believe what God says is sin is sin, not 
What will I think? My God wouldn't do that. It's not about who you think God is. It's about what He says He is. So you've actually got to let go and leave behind and change. Repent. Oh my goodness. That was bad and wrong. I don't do that anymore. I change my behavior because I've changed the way I think because I've brought myself into alignment with the way God thinks. That's repentance. Hmm? All right. So be transformed. This metamorphosis is the root word. By the renewing. Another brilliant word here. Okay. Anakinesos, or something like that in the Greek. Ana, meaning up or completing a process. And then kainos, meaning new. New in to make fresh, to renew, a new development, a renewal. Something is changing. So it's a process that's being made new. The renewing of your mind couple of things we can pull from here amazing immediately firstly although the moment I say yes Jesus you are the son of God I believe in you I'm born again saved rescued redeemed don't have to do a thing he says you're worthy righteous ah receive the free gift born again I'm saved Hallelujah. Eternity awaits. The good kind of eternity. My position is secure. But my condition. The dog gets in the way. Not sure if all dogs go to heaven. Give it a kick anyway. No, not all dogs go to heaven. Let's get our theology straight, please. Because my condition is still tainted, I have some leftover phantom things from my previous dead man. Previous. He's do it. He's dead. I, I did a series on Colossians. Some of you kind of, why is everyone laughing? Okay, it took me a year to go through the book of Colossians. And I think I might need another year. Because I think that too easily we've slipped back into the incorrect understanding of the old man who is dead. Now, is he dead or is he alive? And a lot of Christians live as though he's still alive, but the scripture says he's dead. Reckon yourself dead to sin, the old man. The old is gone, the new has come. So what the heck is happening? Like, I still want to kick the dog. I'm saved, but I want to kick the dog. What's going on here? Okay. If my arm was amputated at the elbow, 
Now, I've not had this done to me, but they tell me. People who've had an amputation, they still get an itch in the hand, and they want to scratch the hand, and they go looking, but it's been taken off at the elbow. There is no hand, but they feel the itch, intense sensation, phantom feelings. It doesn't exist, but they feel it. Sometimes Christians get the itch to sin based on that old man that's no longer there. I have been crucified with Christ. Well, have you or haven't you? Is that dead old man dead or did you resurrect him again just so you can kill him off again? Come on, we live such crazy Theology is like, no, I've got to keep killing. Well, is he dead or is he alive? What is it? Figure it out. Because we live in this crazy in-between twilight kind of thing. No, the scripture says he's dead. He's dead. He's gone. This is a phantom thing. So if you get the urge to scratch, don't scratch. It's not there. So... When I, when I realize I'm saved, I recognize my position is 100% secure. Hmm? But I also recognize there's a process that's at work. My condition. And this thing of the condition becoming more like Christ, that's what this thing of the Spirit is all about. Suddenly this message has turned into part A and B. <laughs> I really want to get to part B. How do we live a life that pleases the Lord? How does this thing being renewed by the Spirit, how does this thing being formed and shaped by the Spirit of God, how does this thing work? Because I'm not under external laws and rules, I'm now under the internal, the heart of flesh. The rule, the government of the Spirit who helps me, enables me, causes me, moves me to live a life that pleases Him. So part of the process is recognizing that there needs to be a changing, a transforming and a renewal of my mind so that I'm not dominated by an old phantom way of doing things. I'm now under the government of God. And I have an obligation to live this way and to turn my back on that. This is making sense. I had an opportunity this morning in the first service. There were a couple of things going on in the environment. And um, I, I was a little out of sorts. This is my confession moment. And I suddenly realized, well, actually it was the Holy Spirit helping me. He says, John, are you going to live your message? Because what was happening was I was noticing things in the, in the environment that were really 
really annoying me. Okay? And I was out of sorts. And I was allowing my preferences and my emotions to lead me. Instead of allowing the spirit to lead me. I'm giving you the example which is a punchline for next time. We'll link it together. You see, I can be led by the spirit or I can be led by my body. Addictions, appetites. I can be led by my emotions. One day I'm up, one day I'm down. I feel like it or I don't feel like it. I felt led. The body of Christ has got a lot of lead poisoning. I felt led to do that. Not your feelings, mate. You're not, you're not, not led by your emotions. You're led by the Spirit. Yeah? Or I thought this. Yeah? Or, or, or my circumstances. Being led by your circumstances is one of the worst ways as a Christian to be led. Come on, the devil can open and close doors too. Just because there's an open door doesn't mean it's the Lord. Ding, ding, ding. Wow, I want to be led by the Spirit. Which means, remember, Greek, Hebrew, compartmentalize, or altogether. Come on, we're going to have to pull these things together. I really hope you come back. Because I want to try and pull these things together. Because I... I think when we put all these pieces together, it's kind of like, oh, okay, that's how it's supposed to be. We can't just have cliches. We've actually got to grab the handles so we can move forward. Because we want to change and we want the world to change and we want to be change agents. And like, how are we going to do all this if we're going to get figured out? Like, I'm still trying to crucify this guy that's dead. But he's dead. You're beating a dead horse and it's dead. But you're trying to kill it, but it's dead. And you waste all your time killing something that's already dead. Come on, preach it. Anyway. You've been so kind, thank you. Would you like to pray? You're stunned. Just as you were waking up. Let's stand. I know we're supposed to end, but I just feel this is a holy moment. Your heart, Lord, is to raise up a generation, to raise up sons and daughters to be image bearers formed, shaped, molded in the image 
of the Son. To re-present, even as we represent heaven on earth. Cause us, Lord, to grow up. Cause us, Lord, to live lives that please you from the inside out. Thank you, Lord, that he who began a good work will bring it through to completion. That we will be transformed glory to glory, greater maturity, growing up in the fullness of the stature of Christ. So we give ourselves to you anew and afresh today to love you, to live for you, to honor you. May your name, may your name be magnified. So um, here's what I think. Let's just do it differently today. Let's do something really spiritual right now. Let's go for coffee. Okay. So those people that you met earlier on, invite them for some tea, coffee, just hang out a little bit. Let's just be family. We won't have the ministry teams or whatever this morning. Let's just, let's just let's minister to one another through just encouraging and strengthening and laughing at each other's jokes. Now, even if it's not funny, just laugh anyway. <laughs> just makes people feel good. All right. Love you guys. Bless you. Have an awesome week. See you next time. Take care.